Hey guys, just a quick content warning for today's episode. There is mention of sexual assault, murder, and gore. So if you're not okay with that, now's your time to click off. Other than that, let's start today's episode. Hi guys. Hey, <laughs> welcome back. It has been a hot minute since we have yeah. been here. Since yeah. December. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, because we had finals and then winter break. And then last week was just, it was shortened. It was, yeah, it was hectic. <laughs> but now we're here in season three, 2022. We're graduating this year. That's oh scary. Oh my god. Um, hmm. How's your Christmas break? <laughs> you know, um, it was good. Um, you know, obviously Omicron. Yeah, I didn't get it, but I was I had some like cold because I tested negative. But yeah, me too. I had a viral infection that turned into bacterial infection. Oh so. my god. <laughs> I did see you over break though. Yeah, true. we had we had a white elephant. Spoiler alert. Hmm. <laughs> No, but it it feels nice to be back in the studio after we've been gone for like what feels like months. Um but yeah, new year, new season. Um and yeah, let's just jump into it. So I'm gonna start off with um start us off start us off with today's case, <laughs> which um I actually learned about last semester in my AP bio class. Um it was just a really interesting case and yeah. <clears throat> um so this one is the case of Kind of has a funny last name. Case of Dr. John Schneeberger. Yeah. Yeah. S-C-H-N-E-E-B-E-R-G-E-R. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll start us off. Um, so, on Halloween night of 1992, Candace, or known as Candy, Fonagy, she had gone to Kipling Medical Center, which is in Canada, and she was... Um, looking for one of her friends, I guess she had gotten to, like, a fight with her boyfriend, something like that. Uh, the nurses had suggested that she had stay and see a doctor before leaving because she was out looking for her friend and she just became, was, like, breaking down mm-hmm. and whatnot. So the on-call doctor had been Dr. John Schneeberger, and during his, <laughs> his examination he had administered on her, uh, he gave her an injection to calm her down since she was supposedly acting hysterical, mm-hmm. and uh, which caused her to lose almost all consciousness. Um, when Candy had finally, like, woken up, uh, and gained her consciousness, she said she had felt this terrible feeling that she may have been sexual assaulted by the doctor. Um, she was a single mother and accused the well-respected doctor in a town of drugging and raping her. Um, a rape kit found evidence of, um, semen, and the blood test revealed the presence of, of a drug. Um, it was called Versid. Um, it was a sedative with a strong amnesiac effect. Um... So after, like, this, they obviously confronted him, and so they wanted to get, like, a blood sample from him and do all these tests on him, and he and Dr. Schneeberger voluntarily provided a a DNA blood sample to compare to Candy's rape kit test. Um, His DNA was not a match, though. No one in Kipling believed Candy's story that she had been raped by him, especially now with this DNA evidence. Then, a year later, in August of 1993... The doctor agreed to a second DNA test this time, and the test would was monitored by the police because the first time they did it, they were like, "Huh," because um, you know they had found his DNA evidence on her, right? And they were like, mm. "Yeah." So it was monitored by the police, and once again, the doctor's DNA was not a match to the DNA found in Candy's rape kit. Still convinced that she was raped, she hired she now Candy now hired a private investigator named Larry O'Brien 
to break into Dr. Schneeberger's car. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if the laws are different in Canada, but I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't think don't. private investigators can do that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Mr. O'Brien, he broke into his car, and inside the car, the private investor collected hair samples and a tube of chapstick. Unfortunately, the hair did not have its roots for the DNA to be tested. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the DNA on his chapstick was a perfect match to the rape kit. And so... Someone is covering something up. <laughs> and so everybody was like, um, okay, like, how yeah. does this, you know, match up? How could this be? And so with the test results of the chapstick, Candy decided to go after the doctor in a um, civil trial. And at the hearing, Dr. Schneeberger agreed to a third DNA test once again in front of the police. And in my AP bio class, we actually watched the video of, like, him getting his, like, blood drawn. Ooh, yeah. They had a video of it. That's cool. Yeah. I don't like watching it, but, like, it was still, in- it was still <laughs> right, interesting to see. Right. Um, so, again, he agreed to a third one. And the lab technician asks for the doctor's finger to draw the blood. Because before, it was, like, just from, like, his arm. Like, right. if you were to normally get blood drawn. Um, <clears throat> the doctor insists the blood come, um, come from the arm, from his arm. Not his finger. Oh, sorry. I guess it was his finger. My bad. <laughs> I don't Wait, know. Wait, <laughs> so in previous times, it was from his finger? Yeah, sorry. I actually mixed it up. It's the okay. lab technician asked for the doctor's finger to draw the blood. The doctor insists the blood come from his arm and not his finger. So I know time, where this is going. Yeah. Okay. So this time, yeah. Got it. So the technician was a bit skeptical and begins taking blood from his arm, as he was told by the doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, but the technician, she had trouble getting any blood come out, even though his vein is enlarged. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, n- I, yeah, I think I've heard of this one. Sorry. Yeah. I won't, I'm not going to spoil it. You yeah, ahead. we learned about it while learning about, like, DNA and all right, this stuff. Right. Um, I would connect if I forgot. It's been... I think there was, was last like, semester, so... Yeah. Okay, keep going. Okay. So, even though the technician um, was obviously suspicious of Dr. Schneeberger, there's nothing she can do about it, and just like before, the doctor's DNA did not match um, Candy's rape kit. The doctor goes back to work and, ten- and continues, you know, working, you know, working, living his life, and it said he is a husband, and he was a husband and a father. Mm-hmm. But then, up until April of 1997... Um, Stuff happened. <laughs> mm-hmm. So in April 1997, um, Dr. Schneeberger's 15-year-old stepdaughter comes forward to accuse him of coming into her room at night, injecting her with an, an unknown substance and assaulting her. Which, uh, um, yeah. And obviously we know from the story the um, lady, mm-hmm. Candy, had um, come up about it. Uh, the doctor was immediately arrested by the police, and he was taken into custody. In custody, police not only obtained another blood sample from the doctor, but they took saliva and a hair sample. Good. Unlike the th- last three times of testing Dr. Schneeberger's blood to the rape kit, this time his DNA was a perfect match. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But these people were like, how, but everyone was asking these questions, how could the doctor pass right. all these blood tests over the last five years and, like, it wasn't a match? Yeah. So... At his trial, it was revealed that Dr. Schneeberger implanted a 15-centimeter Penrose drain filled with another person's blood into his arm to trick the DNA test. Yep. Because he's he's a doctor, so he knows, like, where to, you know. Right, like, where to put it, where. And how, how to, to make to... it. Because we watched the video and how he had his arm, you couldn't really, like, right. how he had it angled, you couldn't really see it. Like, like well, we went back and watched the video again and how his arm was angled, like, oh, yeah, yeah, you could see it. Right. But it just looked like his vein had been enlarged. Right. Yeah, 
another man's. I'm assuming. Um, oops, sorry. Well, and he was a doctor, so he yeah. had access to blood. Yeah, so I'm assuming another um, patient. Yeah. Um, and had filled it with another man's blood into his arm to trick the DNA test. He also used, I'm going to mess up this word, anticoid, or another word, blood thinners, basically, <laughs> in order to. Oh, anticoagulants. Yeah, I cannot <laughs> say that. <laughs> um, to circulate the other's, other man's blood inside um, the arm. Um, Dr. Schneeberger was found guilty of, um, Candy's rape even after all these years. He was sentenced to six years in prison, stripped of his Canadian citizenship, and was deported back to Zambia. Yeah. Even though the doctor was able to trick the DNA test three separate times by using a pump that he implanted into his arm, the police were finally able to get the DNA sample they needed to prove his guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it wasn't for his stepdaughter's decision to come forward with the story, he would have still gotten away with this crime yeah so yeah i just thought that story was very interesting because you know we always see how um murderers try to cover up their crimes but like this one he took it to a whole yeah another level i've never heard of anything like like that confrontational like no do take my dna like he he wanted to seem less suspicious even though they were like um (laughs) right and i think um there, I don't know if it was, like, in a different TV show or if it was just, like, the Forensic Files, but, like, I've definitely heard this story before. Mm-hmm. And, like, um, when I first heard it, I was like, oh, my God. Like, that's, like, I mean, obviously it's, like, illegal and everything, but it's also, like, super manipulative. Because yeah. Imagine how, what? Because they would never think name? of Candace. that. Candace. What was her name? Oh, Candy. Candy, yeah. Imagine how Candy was feeling, like, like she had a strong gut feeling she knew that this man did something to her and every single test was coming back like negative like he was not a match and so like i just feel for her because i'm like that must suck Mm -hmm. i'm glad he got caught yeah um but yeah that's crazy to think about how if it weren't for his stepdaughter who you know gained the courage to come up and step forward about that um he would still be practicing medicine today. Um, but, yeah, I remember when we learned about that in my um, AP bio class. I was just, like, my jaw was dropped. I was, like, oh, my God. Like, I yeah. Like, also, like, oh, my God. I do not want to, like, like he enter, like, a whole, like, like tube yeah. like, in his arm. Ugh. And, uh, like, do you think, like, what kind of tube? Do you, did you see what kind of tube it was? It or like, like, a 15-centimeter, like, Penrose, like, drain or something. I remember. So uh, it was, like, something that's supposed to be in the arm, like, medically? Yeah, I'm not too sure uh, um, about it. Let me uh, search it up real quick. Okay. Because I can't imagine that, like, putting that in his arm, like, three different times was good for him. Yeah, like, I don't know if he had it in the whole time. I'm assuming not. <coughs> I, I assume not either. But, like, putting it in the same arm three different times, I just can't imagine Yeah, it looks that. like it's a, it's a soft, flat, flexible tube made of latex, and it lets blood and other fluids move out of the area of your surgery. Okay. Obviously, y'all can't see a picture, but yeah. <laughs> well, that's interesting. And it's supposed to keep fluid from collecting under your incision and causing an infection. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that's it's called a Penrose so a Penrose drain. Okay, not so strange. I know. So I think that wraps up for my case, and okay. I'm gonna let Sage take over. Okay. So um, I'm gonna be doing the story of the. <laughs> This is going to sound weird. Um, the story of the feet that were washing up on the Salish 
sea shore. That's, That's a, a tongue tongue twister. Yeah. Tongue. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So basically, like this has been an uh this article that I'm going to be reading from was published in March uh of 2021, um. But it has like this story has been ongoing since like 2007. Oh and so, wow! Like, I think I've heard of this. Was this the? I'm not gonna spoil. <laughs> Is it just like feet? Yeah. Is it shoes too? Yeah. I think I've heard of this. Okay. Sorry, guys. So on August 20th, um, 2007, a 12-year-old girl spotted a lone blue and white running shoe, um, a men's size 12, on a beach of British Columbia's Jebediah Island. Um, she looked inside, found a sock, and she looked inside the sock and found a foot. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. How old was she? I she was 12. <laughs> 12. Um, six days later, on nearby Gabriola Island, a Vancouver couple um, that was enjoying a hike um, came across a black and white Reebok. Um, inside was another decomposing foot, and it was also a men's size 12. Um, the two feet uh, did not clearly did not belong to the same person. Um, not only were the shoes different, but they both contained right feet. And people don't have two... Right, right feet. Yeah. They have two left feet when they're bad dancers. Uh-huh. uh-huh. But um, <laughs> um so Gary Cox of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police um had said two being found in such a short period of time is quite suspicious. Finding one foot is like a million to one odds, but finding two is crazy. I've heard of dancers with two left feet, but come on. So he made the joke too. <laughs> Um, the next year, five more feet appeared on Cana- nearby Canadian beaches on the same shore. Um, the discoveries uh, ratcheted, ratcheted up the public's fears, and media speculation soared. Over the course of the next 12 years, uh, a total of 15 feet washed ashore in the area around Vancouver Island, a network of waterways called the Salish Sea. Six more turned up in Puget, Puget Sound, <laughs> um, which lies across the U.S. border at the southern end of the sea, um, with, an, with the exception of one foot wearing an old hiking boot. All of them were wearing sneakers. Um, the sneaker-clad feet became famous, um, even garnering their own Wikipedia page. Wow. And with fame came hoaxes. Pranksters stuffed shoes with chicken bones or skeletonized dog paws and scattered them along Canadian shorelines. Which is kind of just sick. Yeah. Like, that's weird. Very wrong. Don't do that. <laughs> like, it's not something you should be joking about. Yeah. Um, so, tipsters um, called... <laughs> I'm sorry, that's such a funny word to me. Tipsters. <laughs> tipsters called police with all manner of uh, theories about the origins of the feet. Laura Yazadijan, um, who is a forensic anthropologist... Um, who works as a human identification specialist for the British Columbia Coroner Service, that's a lot of words, um, says, well, we get some very interesting tips that come in about serial killers or containers full of migrants that are sitting at the bottom of the ocean. Aliens had that one as well. And pretty occasionally a psychic. A pre- actually, pretty much every single time, a psychic will call and offer to help, which is... You hear of psychics, like, taking advantage of, like, families that have lost someone or like mm-hmm. those situations but like calling up the police like do you really think the police are going to listen to you 
<laughs> um, but this type of mystery, it turns out, requires scientific rather than criminal investigation or physics. In fact, science can answer all of the uh, obvious questions. For example, why are feet and not entire bodies washing ashore? And why are they showing up on this particular stretch of British Columbia shore? Um, but the research that has addressed these questions is anything but obvious. To begin, we must understand what happens to a dead body once it's in the water. Um, so once in the water, a cadaver's first move will be either to float or to sink. Obviously, yeah, depends on the buoyancy of the person. <laughs> um, and so that a floating object will be carried with the winds and by surface currents. But a sinker, a a body that sinks, uh, will remain, might remain in one place or be tugged in different directions by deeper currents. A floating body that is, that's exposed to the air um, will decompose differently than one that's in the cold depths of the ocean. Some people assume that a drowned person will sink because the lungs are full of water, but Um, and that a cadaver's air-filled lungs would otherwise act as a flotation device. Um, But it's not that simple. Um, In 1942, E.R. Donahue of the Armed Forces Institute, he set out to settle the matter. So he took, like, this group of, like, healthy U.S. Navy men, um, ages, like, ages 20 to 40, um which kind of is, like, a really small group compared to, like, all the people out there in the world that are not U.S., healthy U.S. Navy members, 20 to 40. But anyway, so um, each was suspended with un- uh, was suspended underwater, um, weighed both with his full lungs of air and after expelling as much air as possible. With their lungs fully inflated with air, all, men of-, all of the men floated, um, but once they had emptied their lungs, most of them sank and only 7% floated. And surprisingly, in seawater, um, people, like, humans are more buoyant. Um, so, like, salt water. Oh, yeah, Because yeah. it's salty. Like, there's, like, specific... The more salt concentration, yeah, they float. Right. What is it? Uh, it's something about, like, osmosis. In, like, the Dead Sea? No, mm, is that what it's called? Dead The Red e- Dead Sea? E- I think it's Red Sea, right? Like yeah, that's, like, sea. the saltiest yeah. ocean. Yeah, whatever one that ends in Ed... <laughs> It's a sea. Yeah, I know that one's really salty. <laughs> you can float in it. Um, so uh, cadavers are more likely to sink than float, and people who drown are the most likely to sink, obviously. Um, so when a body sinks, it's ten, uh, it tends to go, sh- like, straight down to the bottom. Like, it doesn't just, like, linger. Um, and, and, like, since it's underwater, like... I don't know if you've ever seen or, like, heard of this, but, like, cadavers will, like, absorb the water and, like, bloat, become really, like, expanded because yeah. it just absorbed all the water. I heard about that. Uh-huh. But that only happens sometimes. Uh, and when it does, the, like, cadaver will bob to the surface. But in, like, deep lakes or oceans, uh, it usually never comes up. So instead of causing, uh, instead of, like, the gases in our bodies causing bodies to float, um, other microbial processes take over and convert a sunken body's tissues to this word I cannot pronounce. (laughs) Um, 
which is a like waxy soap like tissue. Um, so Yaze Dijon, um, that's what she examined on the feet from the Salish Sea, um, that they were covered in this waxy whatever substance that I still can't pronounce, um, which means that they the body sank and then remained underwater as they decomposed. So they decomposed underwater. But this still leaves the question, why didn't the feet stay with the bodies? Like, mm-hmm. if the body is decomposing and it's breaking up into all these pieces, why are the feet washing up onto the shore? Um, Maybe it's some murderer who just thought it would be a, f- a cruel, funny joke to chop off people's feet and just throw them in the ocean. No. I don't know. Actually, that's wrong. <laughs> Believe it or not, you're not correct. Oh, well. So um, there was this lady, Gail Anderson, who was at a university, and so she was conducting a study on pigs because pigs are the closest to, like, human bodies mm-hmm. um, out of all of, like, the anim- the, the mammals. Um, so <laughs> funny, funnily enough, um, she was conducting her study uh, where – not far from where the third human foot would be found six months after this. Um, so her team conducted this study that trying to figure out obviously why the, why the feet. So the pig carcass was quickly eaten by a large um, by, by a large and unruly mob of shrimp, lobsters, and dungeness crabs. Oh, um, that's a cool name. With the quote unquote expected areas. Um, like the anus and the facial orifices. So what about the feet? It turns out that underwater scavengers, like crustaceans, will work around bones and other tough obstacles, preferring to pick apart softer tissues. Um, And unlike the bony ball and socket joints that joins our legs to our hips, our ankles uh, are made up of mostly soft stuff, ligaments, and other connective tissue. Um, so it follows that a sunken, shoe-wearing cadaver in the Salish Sea is likely to be chewed apart by scavengers and to have its feet disarticulated from the rest of the body in short order. Um, so basically, all of these... Uh, I don't know if um, I mentioned it before, but there were a lot of people freaking out about this at the time because they thought there was some person in the... Uh, in the coast of the Salish Sea that was just going around murdering people and then throwing their feet, cutting off their feet and throwing them into, sea, into the sea. Mm-hmm. And then, it like, it was a huge story, but um, it turns out it was just fish. <laughs> it's fish and shrimp, and they're too lazy to work around all of the ligaments. And... Uh, so their feet just happen to be the only ones that washed up on shore. Mm-hmm. But where did this come from? Like all the shoes and stuff. Like is it people who fell in the water? Yeah. But I mean, like, why would you wear like Reeboks and stuff on a boat? <laughs> That's a, actually a really good question. Maybe it's like a tour boat. I don't know. Yeah. Why weren't there any boat shoes that washed up? <laughs> the fish picked up the shoes themselves. Yeah. You know, in 2007, there were a lot of. I mean, it was popular to wear boat shoes. But I guess it takes a while for a. It takes a while for a body to decompose in the bottom of the ocean, though. So I guess it, I guess maybe most most of the cadavers I would assume are from like the nineties, if they're washing ashore in the two thousand in two thousand seven. I mean, it takes a while for a body to decompose in the bottom of the ocean, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
like I would assume at least like maybe 10 years because it's cold and it's wet. Yeah. And so I would assume that all of the Reeboks, which were popular in the late 90s, I would assume that most of the bodies are from like the 90s or early 2000s. Oh, no, if they're washing ashore, in 2007, right? Yeah, and they kept washing upon shore to like 2000. I mean, they still are washing upon shore. It just now it's not a big <laughs> mystery. Yeah, but like they kept washing upon shore to like 2015. That's scary. I don't like that. Do you think maybe some people were from like Japan, and they washed all the way across? They went all the way across the ocean floor to Canada. I don't know. I honestly don't know how long it takes for it to, like, decompose. Yeah. Like a body. I know you probably said, like, 10 billion times. But, <laughs> like, I don't know. It's such a weird thing. Because British Columbia, that's, like. That's, like, the west coast of. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I'm trying to get my geography skills. Canada. Yeah, I know it's by Canada. It's, <sighs> like, over by, like, Washington and, like, that stuff. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Alaska? I don't know. <laughs> no, it's not that far north. <laughs> but, like, it's cold up there. And then, plus, you add that it's in the ocean. I'm surprised the shoe wasn't, like, torn up or anything. Like, or maybe it was. Probably mm. was in the greatest condition. Well, no, most of the shoes were, like, <laughs> I mean, they were, um, let me see if I can pull up a photo. Not of the foot, because, oh, my God, that would be horrible. I don't want to see that. <laughs> uh Loud. Let's see if I can find photos. Mm-mm. No, not a. I mean, yeah, most of the shoes were in like. Oh my god. Why is everyone so loud? Most of this is the. Do you photo hear song. everyone being so damn loud? Yeah. I mean, look, it's like, there's the shoes are still in pretty good condition. Yeah, like, like they, they look dirty, but they look like if you just like wore them for like many years, like throughout school. Like that's what right. they look like for yeah. the people who can't see it. It's like just they, a it looks like really they have worn out shoe. Sand. Whoa! It looks like they have sand on them, but not like. I mean, yeah, they're like actually in like really good condition for being in the ocean, and they look like they're from the nineties. I mean, yeah, it. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it could be pretty recent. That's how they found them when they washed up on shore. Even if they cleaned them up, like, still. Yeah. Like, I thought there would be, like, holes and it was, like, torn up or stuff missing. Right. Like, maybe the little fishies are trying to get to the toes. <laughs> I don't know. I just <laughs> Sorry, like the, that was uncalled for. <laughs> I just feel like the shoes would just be, like, more torn up. So, I'm guessing it's maybe, if it were someone, it would be something more consistent. Mm-hmm. Do you think, do you think? There's so many open theories. I have no yeah. idea. Do you think that? whenever all of these people died it was like a huge just like maybe phenomena of people going and drowning i don't know because like that could that could because it only just it like it only like really was notable in 2007 yeah so it's just like strange to me like i don't know i i still think there are a lot of unanswered questions if i'm being honest Mm -hmm. like where are the rest of the bodies? Will they wash up eventually? Yeah, this or? case, like, though how interesting it is and how it's still open, um, it just brings in so many questions and so many different um, like answers or yeah. theories and whatnot. 
Um, sorry to cut it um, short, but I think that's going to be the, um, the end for today's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening today. Yeah. And, and welcome again, back to season yes, three. Yeah. Thank you for sticking with us this long. Yeah. We have to find a, a, Don't remind me. a legacy. Uh, me. <laughs> me. I'm just going to stay. Okay. Well, bye. Bye. <laughs>